0: Uh, like Reid mentioned, my name is Gerald Fatiomi. It is such a gift to get to be with you all today. Um, a little bit about me. I am from Atlanta, born and raised. Uh, my incredible wife would love to be here with us. But we are six days away from our third child, and so uh, she's not here. We have 15-month identical twin baby girls at our house right now, and we're adding a third girl to the mix. Um, yeah, pray. Uh, Her name's Trinity, and I told my wife we needed to name her Trinity because that was my way of theologically closing the circle on girls. And so God, if you're listening, the next one is a boy. It's my last attempt, so I really need you to hear me out on that. Uh, We are church planners in in Atlanta, uh, so I spent a, a good number of years on staff at one of the North Point campuses. Um, But we're now planning a church in Roswell, Georgia. Um, And you may or may not know this, but you've already been a part of that. Uh, We are launching officially in January of next year. Um, But over the course of this year, we've done some nights of worship and we'll continue to do that and some community service events. Um, And at our second night of worship in May, uh, we had two young ladies, Taylor and Ellie, who wanted to be baptized. Uh, And being a church plant, we don't have a baptismal. So I called Wynette Uh, And Reed and the staff here were so gracious to let us use one of y'all's baptismals uh, so that we could show a community that God is for them while these two young ladies went public with their faith. And so you've already been a part of being for not only Gwinnett, um, but for the city of Roswell. And so I'm so grateful for you. Thank you for allowing stories like Taylor and Ellie's to happen. Uh, If you've picked up, today is 4th of July. It's a day that as a country, we celebrate Freedom. Um, And today you've probably noticed we've been already talking about this theme that we're going to continue this idea of talking about freedom, but we're going to talk about a different kind of freedom this morning. So the theme for this morning is one word, it's freedom. Um, But we're not talking about the freedoms that we enjoy as citizens of the United States of America. This morning we're talking about the freedoms that we enjoy as citizens of heaven. This morning we're talking about the freedoms that have been made available to us in the person of Jesus. And my hope and my prayer for this morning is that for some of you, this will just be a healthy reminder um, of where your ultimate freedom comes from. And for others of you, maybe this morning would be the morning that your eyes are opened and the light bulb goes off and you actually understand what this whole Christianity thing is all about. And so I'd love to pray for us. Uh, We'll jump into our message for this wonderful 4th of July. Uh, Father, we love you and we're grateful. Um, that we do live in a country that we could gather like this and we could openly worship you and we can open your word and we can hear from you. And so God, that's what we want to do right now. We want to hear from you. And um, I can't do that, but you can. I can't open ears. I can't change hearts, but you can do that. And so God, I pray that you would use any small amount of effort um, that we've put forward today to do what only you could do, that you would transform our hearts and our minds and that each and every single one of us, um, kids in the room included, would walk out of here different. Um, because we were here. So we love you and we thank you. We ask you to move now, in Jesus' name, amen. I'd be a terrible dad if I didn't show a picture of my kids, so I brought one. Uh, These are my girls, Wesley Grace and Zoe Faith Fadiomi. That's my wife, Kylie, and they're the cutest babies in the world. Um, Thanks. Don't clap for me, clap for my wife. She did all the work. Um, But those are my girls and I love them. I'll tell you my favorite thing to do with them is bedtime. Uh, I love getting home from work and we do dinner together, which is a mess. Um, But then we get them cleaned up and we'll go to the pool or we'll go outside and play in the backyard or we'll go upstairs and they'll run around their rooms. And then we'll sit down after, you know, running around for a little while and we'll get them changed. And then we sit down in the corner of their room and we have one of those kids' Bibles, you know, one of those like Bible 365s. And every night we read the Bible to them. We've done it every night since the day um, that they first came home. And so we love that time as a family together. I will tell you this, though. Children's Bibles have been ruined for me. Um, and the reason why that's the case is because my mentor, who actually led me to Christ, um, he told me a story of a time that he was reading the exact same Bible that I read to my girls to his little boys. His little boy was four years old at the time. Uh, and my mentor was reading to his son, Jackson, the story of Abraham and Isaac. Okay? Now, if you've grown up in church and you know that story, you know that that's a very complicated story to read to a four-year-old kid. Um, if you don't know the story, a little bit of context. God uh, gives Abraham and Sarah a child. This child's name is Isaac. God then asks Isaac to sa- or Abraham to sacrifice his son, Isaac. And so you're reading this children's book and you're watching this sacrifice about to happen with Isaac, okay? Right, so now the thing about these children's books is everyone's smiling on every page. And so it's a super interesting, like, dichotomy that's occurring, right? So you have Abraham and Isaac and they're standing next to each other and they're both smiling, And then you get to the next page and Abraham's like walking up the hill and Isaac is walking behind him and they're both smiling. And then you get to the top of the hill and Isaac is collecting the sticks and he's smiling and Abraham's looking at him like, you have no idea. And he's smiling, you know. Then you get to the next page and now the sticks are laid out on the altar and Isaac is laying, looking up at his dad and he's smiling and Abraham's looking down on his son and he's still smiling, you know. Then you flip the next page and, and Abraham is standing over his son with a knife <laughs> and Isaac is looking at him, he's smiling. And Abraham's looking down at him, smiling. If you know the end of the story, God you know, doesn't ask Abraham to actually sacrifice Isaac. He delivers um, Isaac with a ram, which that could be a whole nother story or a whole nother sermon that we could preach this morning. But, but I think about that story and I think about what happened immediately afterwards. They finish reading their time together and and Jackson looks at his dad and he goes, dad, that was a really good story and that was really cool that God like sent the lamb or the ram, you know, in place of Isaac. Um, But can I just ask a question? His dad goes, yeah, buddy, go ahead. He goes, "Um, is God ever gonna ask you to sacrifice me? (laughs) And Wes, my mentor, looks at his son Jackson and he goes, I don't know, buddy, good night, and leaves, right? Like, what a terrible dad. And so he comes back a couple hours later, and Jackson's like, eyes wide open, like, ah, I can't sleep, like, my dad is gonna kill me in my sleep, like, what is happening, you know? And, and I was thinking about that story as I was preparing for this morning, and I just kept thinking about this idea, you know, that the words we say to somebody matter, right? Like, the last words that we communicate to somebody that impact them, They impact who they are. They impact the way they live. They impact the way that they respond. That two hours later, Wes walks into the room and Jackson is still awake because of the words that were spoken to him by his dad. Last words matter. They not only impact us, but, but they demonstrate or they communicate what matters most to the person who communicates them. They tell us what their heart is, They tell us what matters most to that person. It's the reason that every night before I put my girls down to bed, I ask them three questions and they can't answer because they can't talk. So I answer for them and I go, I go, hey, Wesley, who loves you, baby? Daddy does. Hey, Zoe, who loves you? Mama does, that's right. Hey, who loves you most? Jesus does, that's right. I kiss my little girls and I put them to bed. And the reason I do that is because I know the last words I say to them before they go to sleep, well, they matter, right? They communicate my heart to them. They they communicate what matters most to me, to them. Hey, I want you to know more than anything in the world, your mom, your dad, they love you and Jesus loves you even more than we ever could. The last words that I say to them, my hope and my prayer is that they will impact them, that because they've heard these words over and over and over every night before they go to, to bed, that these words will impact the way that they live. Our last words matter. The words that were spoken over us matter. And many of you know this, right? Because you've had words spoken over you. And maybe it was a coach who said something to you when you were in high school that you still hung on to. Maybe when you were really struggling in school, you had that one teacher, you know, who continued to show up for you and speak words of encouragement over you. Maybe it's you had a parent who told you they loved you often or for others of us, it's been the opposite of experience. We had a person who said you'll never amount to anything and it's impacted you. You had a coach who told you you'd never be good enough. They made you quit the thing you loved. Maybe you didn't have a parent who was around to tell you that they love you enough. And it's led to feelings of, of being unloved or unwanted. Right, like the words that have been spoken over us matter. Because words are significant. Whoever made up that saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, is a liar. Words matter. And so this morning, what I want to look at are some significant words, some last words. And they're the last words of Jesus. The last words that Jesus would speak on the cross. And the reason I want to look at these words is because I don't believe that these words were just spoken for those who are in attendance. I believe that those words were intended for you and for me because these words demonstrate the heart of Jesus. These words communicate what matters most to Him. And these words, if we'll allow them to this morning, will impact and transform us for years and generations to come. To do that, if you have a Bible, we'll be in John chapter 19. We'll be looking at verses 17 through 30, but really just highlighting three words in this long passage of scripture. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry, we'll throw it up on the screens. Uh, John 19, verses 17 through 30, it says this. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with two others, two criminals, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and in Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, don't write that he was the king of the Jews, but write that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless. It was woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by a lot who will get it. This happened so that the scripture may be fulfilled, that they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. And so that's what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, he said, Here is your mother. And from that time on, the disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that everything had been finished so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. The jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it and put the sponge on the stock of a hyssop plant and they lifted it to Jesus's lips. When he received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Three years, Jesus served a public ministry caring for the least and the lost, healing the sick, raising the dead. Moments of popularity, moments of extreme hate and disgust. Ending in a moment where the Jewish leaders of the day would turn their back on Jesus, using Judas to betray him, have him accused of crimes that he didn't commit, have him beaten within inches of his life, having him forced to carry the crossbar of his cross through the city streets, beaten and bruised, mocked and ridiculed, spit on, laughed at, put to shame. They would then drive nails through his wrists and through his feet, and they would hammer him to this wooden cross, a symbol of Rome's power, To demonstrate to everyone watching, we are not to be played with and we are not to be messed with. For hours, he would suffocate on that cross. You see, you didn't die on a cross by bleeding out. You died on a cross because you would suffocate. Your limbs would be so far stretched that it would be impossible to breathe. And so for hours you would watch as those who were dying on a cross would push themselves up so that they could breathe a moment of air and then they would slump back down and begin to suffocate and over and over and over for hours he would go through this motion knowing that in all of that he had you and I in mind. He'd be thirsty. they would give him vinegar to drink. no breath in his lungs, one last statement, what would he say? Three words. It is finished. That's how our English Bibles translate it. But the original Greek language that this would have been written in would have actually only been one word. It was this word to telestai And as you read through this story, you you can feel the the drama, you can feel the heaviness, you can feel the weight. It feels like an extremely sad moment. And so as we read through this, we we see those three words, it is finished. And the the context for us allows us to think that those words would have been sad, heavy, almost depressing words. But when you understand the original word that was used to describe what Jesus said on the cross, to telestai, well, it gives you a different understanding. See, because tetelestai wasn't this sad, dramatic word. No, tetelestai was a common word that was used by the merchants. And what it meant was paid in full. What it meant was the debt is paid. And so anytime someone owed and they would pay off their debt, the merchant would write on or stamp on to the receipt, tetelestai, paid in full. You owe nothing else. You see, with Jesus's last words, with the words that he used to demonstrate his heart for you and me, with the words that he used to communicate what matters most to him, with the words that he used that would impact generations and generations and generations to come, Jesus made not a sad, depressing statement, but a declarative one. And his declaration was, the debt is paid, it is finished. You owe nothing else meaning the debt between us and God was finished once and for all the moment Jesus died on the cross for you and for me. The debt is paid and we are free. His last words were a declaration of freedom. And so with the next 18 minutes and 35, 34, 33 seconds that we have left together, what I wanna talk about are three freedoms that we have access to, three freedoms that we get to enjoy because of the cross of Jesus Christ. The first is this, is that we are free from sin. We're free from sin. Now, when I say we're free from sin, I mean two things. Um, The first is that I mean we're free from the penalty of sin. Now, if you've grown up in church, you've heard this word sin before. Sin in its simplest terms just means missing the mark. It means that God has a standard for us. That standard is perfection and that we all fall short of that standard. None of us are capable of hitting the mark that God has set to enjoy relationship with him. So we all fall short of that standard. The problem with that is that sin comes with a penalty. And the penalty for sin is this, is that we will die physically and that we are dead spiritually. That apart from God, we will physically die and we are spiritually dead. If you go all the way back to the beginning, to Genesis, you know, Adam and Eve, they're in the garden. Adam has this awesome job where he gets to name all the animals. Can you imagine like him just walking through the garden? Like, beautiful. Let's call that one a butterfly. Ugly. Let's call that a hippo, right? Like, amazing job. And they're walking through the garden and everything is perfect and they get to enjoy intimacy with God. But then there's this moment where they're tempted and they fall into temptation and eventually sin and sin, uh, eventually sin and sin enters the world. And when it does, death now becomes a part of the human experience that was never intended to be there. You see, Adam and Eve were meant to live forever with God, but sin had a consequence and a penalty and that penalty was that they would die. In fact, if you fast forward to Genesis chapter 5, it's like one of those sections in the Bible that we all tend to skip, you know, where it's like, such and such lived, then they had kids, then they died, then they lived, then they died, then they lived, then they died. And you're like, I don't know who all these names are, and I can't even pronounce them, and I'm never going to name my kid this, I'll just skip to Matthew, because that's way easier to name my kid, right? And so you skip these sections, but Genesis chapter 5 is actually what I like to call a genealogy of death. And it's showing us that now death is part of the human experience. Something that was never meant to be there is now there. And the reason it's there is because of sin. It's the penalty for sin. It's death and not just physical death, but spiritual death. That apart from Jesus, we can't really have relationship with God. We can't fully know him. We can't be who God has created us to be. We may be walking around physically alive, but spiritually we are dead and we are far from him. But in a moment, Jesus offers us some really good news with three words, it is finished. Jesus takes on our sin and he trades us our sin and gives us back his righteousness. Now with three words, Jesus says it is finished and he takes our sin and he gives us back instead the righteousness of God. That's why Paul would write in 2 Corinthians, for he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God that Jesus would take on our sin and our shame and he would take it to the grave once and for all so that we would no longer have to pay the penalty that comes from sin. But instead we get the righteousness of God. So when Jesus says it is finished, it means you don't have to pay the penalty for sin anymore. But not only that, second, he says this, you don't have to be a slave to it anymore either. And y'all, this is something I really wrestled with when I first became a Christian because I couldn't understand how I believed in Jesus and I knew I was free from sin, yet I kept doing things that I didn't want to do. And I kept doing things that I knew wasn't best for me. And and I wrestled with it and had a lot of conversations with a lot of different people. And the best way that I can explain it is this, is apart from Jesus, my normal setting is to sin. It's the norm, not the exception. But with Jesus, sin doesn't have to be the norm. Sin now becomes the exception. And I can live my life in a way that brings God honor and glory. I can live my life in a way where I can experience the joy, the peace, the patience, the self-control, the hope, the love that I need from God. With Jesus, I no longer have to be a slave to my sin anymore. It doesn't have to own me. It doesn't have to define me. It doesn't get to label me anymore. In Jesus, I get a new name, a new label. I am a new creation, and I get to experience freedom in him. And friends, that's what's on the table for you and I as well. It's an ultimate freedom. And when Jesus says it is finished, what he means is, one, you are free from sin. Amen? Second is this, that we are free from striving. We are free from striving. And y'all, this is one of those things that um, I think Christians really struggle with. In fact, I think people, the longer you've been a Christian, the easier it is to struggle with this. And part of the reason that's the case is because of the culture we live in. We live in like a performance-based culture, you know, a culture that says you get what you deserve. You work hard enough, you'll get to the places you wanna go. And so what we do is we climb a proverbial ladder our whole life. I'm gonna work hard enough to get the promotion, I'll get what I deserve. I'm gonna work hard enough to to be noticed in my neighborhood as the best mom and I'll eventually get what I deserve. I'll work hard enough as kids at a sport and I'll eventually be a starter. I'll get what I deserve. I work hard enough and eventually I can get to the top of the ladder. And because that's the way that we see all of our life, it's the same way that we tend to see a relationship with God. If I'm a good enough person, if I try hard enough, if I have perfect church attendance, if I never miss a small group, if I do all the right things and behave in all the right ways, then eventually maybe I can earn right standing with God. The problem is to earn right standing with God requires what I talked about in my first point, perfection. And none of us are perfect. And none of us will ever get there. And that feels like really bad news until you realize that Jesus Christ came to the planet earth to live the perfect life that you and I could never live. That he would be the perfect one. So that we no longer have to try to be. Friends, hear me this morning. We don't have to try to earn what Jesus already paid for. And your behavior does not determine God's love for you. And for some of you, that's the only thing you needed to hear this morning because you've been waiting to follow Jesus until you cleaned up enough. You've been waiting to follow Jesus until you were a good enough person You've been waiting to follow Jesus until you stopped hanging out with those people, going to those places, doing those things, thinking those ways. And friends, you just need to hear me. Relationship with God is available right now, today. And it's not because of what you do. It's because of what Jesus has done for you. And so you don't have to strive to try to earn right standing with God. You don't have to climb the ladder to him. Jesus climbed the ladder to you. And relationship with God is possible. And you don't have to strive anymore. Striving can cease because it is finished. You're free from sin. You're free from striving. The last idea is this, is that you are free to connect with God. You're free to connect with God. Any iPhone people in the room, just real quick, iPhone people, raise them high so we can see them. Amazing, awesome. All right, Android people, Android people, real high Android people, so we know who to pray for in the room. That's amazing. Yeah, I'm an iPhone person for sure, I have been for a while, I love my iPhone. Um, This is the iPhone either 10 or 11, I honestly don't remember, it's one of the ones. Um, But it's the one where they made that like pretty significant shift, you know, where they went to that like little lightning port at the bottom, y'all know what I'm talking about? That thing right there? Um, Which is great, I mean, it's awesome. Here's the problem. The problem is that these are my headphones right here, you know, Um, and my headphones are really important to me because I travel a lot, okay? And I I intentionally bought these headphones. I did not get the little AirPod things. I didn't get those. I got these. And the reason I got these is because I want people to know when I put these on, this is a universal sign. I don't want to talk to you. (laughs) Leave me alone. If I get on the plane and you're like, hey, how you doing? I'm like, great. (laughs) Don't talk to me. I know, y'all are like, you're a pastor, that's like a ministry opportunity. It is, I wanna to minister to myself with my headphones on. Leave me alone, right? And so I bought these headphones so that I could communicate to people, I don't wanna to talk to you. Here's the problem. Um, these headphones have this little guy. You know what I'm talking about, this, this guy? And this does not work with this. They're incompatible. Okay, hear me. The problem with sin isn't just that it separates us from God. The problem with sin is that it makes us incompatible with God. God is holy. We're not. God is perfect. We're imperfect. And a perfect, holy God cannot be connected to or in relationship with imperfect, unholy people. Watch this. It does not matter how hard I try. This will not connect with this. Okay, don't kill me theologically on this. If you want to email someone, uh, read.more at northpointministries.net. This is God. This is you. It does not matter how hard you try, you can't connect. Watch this. It doesn't matter how good of a person you think you are doesn't connect it doesn't matter how much money you've given away it does not connect doesn't matter how many Sundays you show up it cannot connect the reason it cannot connect is because this is incompatible with this enter in the dumbest name object in all of human history this guy the dongle I know this is ridiculous, but there's kids in the room, so I wanted to make it simple for them. Go with me. The only way that this connects to this is with Jesus. The dongle was created so that things that were meant to be connected to the iPhone Could fulfill their purpose and connection. And the reason Jesus Christ came to the planet Earth for you and for me is because you and I were created and designed to be connected to God, but we are incapable of doing it on our own. And so Jesus came to be the only possible way that connection could and will happen. If it could happen another way, Jesus wouldn't have had to come. But He is the great connector. And he did it by going to the cross for you and for me so that we never have to live disconnected from God again. Hear me. The God who created the universe wants to know you and wants you to know him. Isn't that mind blowing? that the God who created everything that we know and see to be wants a intimate, personal relationship with you. And he wanted it so badly that he would give the life of his only begotten son, have him crucified, suffering on a cross to die for you and for me so that we could be connected to him. So that we could live in relationship with him. So when we open up his word, we can actually hear from him. So that when we pray, he actually hears our prayers and speaks back to us. So that we don't have to live in isolation, but we're surrounded by a community called the church. The God of the universe wants to be connected to you. And he did it through his son, Jesus. And so because of the cross of Christ, you are now free to connect with God for all of eternity. It's good news. Jesus says it is finished. When he does, it means three things. One, that you are free from the penalty and slavery to sin Two, that you are free from striving. You don't have to earn what Jesus already paid for. And three, in Jesus, you are free to connect with God. And so the question for this 4th of July is simply this. What do we do with that? Like, what do we do with that freedom? What do we do with the ultimate freedom that has been made available to us in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. What do we do with that? I'll tell you what we do with it. It's two things. Number one is this, we choose freedom. We choose freedom. You wake up in the morning and you go, no, 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 I'm not going to choose to be who I've always been. I'm choosing Jesus. I'm not going to choose to let sin dictate and define my life anymore. I'm not going to choose to let it label me anymore. I'm not going to choose to let it dictate who I become and what the trajectory of my life is going to be. I am going to not choose sin. I I today am going to wake up and I'm going to choose Jesus. I'm going to choose his best for me. I'm going to choose his hopes for me. I'm going to choose his his conviction in my life. I'm going to choose his guiding, his direction, his leading. I'm going to choose to open up these words and read the words in red and go, I'm going to do what they say. I am choosing Jesus because I'm choosing freedom. I'm not going to choose sin anymore. I'm going to choose freedom. I'm not going to choose striving anymore. I'm not going to give up my Bible reading plan because I missed the day and I wasn't perfect. Can anyone else relate to that? Just me. I'm not going to choose, I don't know if I can go to church because I know where I was on Saturday night. I'm not going to choose that because my perfection or my my life hasn't been perfect and my decision making hasn't been everything that I think God would want it to be. That I'm going to live apart from Him. No, no, no. That is a earning and striving mentality. Earning is engraved in our DNA, but we get a new DNA in Christ, and our DNA now is to live in relationship with Him. You don't have to earn it, and so choose to stop striving and st- st- striving. Choose to stop striving and choose to live an intimate relationship with him. Choose to be connected to God. Choose to prioritize time in his word. You know, if you wake up every day and you spend time here first, it'll impact the way you live the rest of your day. You know, if you're struggling in your marriage, if you choose to lean in and listen to the words of Jesus and apply them to your life, it'll impact the way you treat your spouse. You know, if you're struggling with your kids, if you'll choose to lean in and connect with God, it will impact the way that you relate to your kids. This in and of itself, time with God in and of itself, connecting with him in and of itself will give you what you need in order to live the life that he's called you to live. But apart from him, you can't do it on your own. In fact, Jesus said that. If you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. We stay connected to him. We choose freedom. And for some of you, today you need to make that choice for the first time. You chose your own way and it hasn't worked. And it's left you broken and beat up. You've chose to give in to the culture. You thought it would bring you joy and it's left you more depressed. You chose to run away from God because you thought you weren't perfect, but maybe today is the day that you decide, you know what? No, 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 no. I'm choosing freedom. And the only way to choose freedom is to choose Jesus. And so I'm not running from Jesus anymore. I want to say yes to a relationship with him today. And if that's you, if you want to know what it looks like to be free in Christ, if you want to experience the freedom that Jesus offers, there's going to be some staff members at the four wall afterwards. And I strongly encourage you, let today be the day that you choose freedom for others of us in the room, the encouragement to you, what do we do with this freedom is we don't go back. Just don't go back. You have been set free, so don't go back to who you used to be. It's that simple. Don't go back to a life of sin. Don't go back to that bad habit. Don't go back to those bad decisions. No, no, no. You stand firm and you keep following after Jesus. Don't go back to striving when Jesus has already paid for you to have freedom in relationship with him. You enjoy relationship with God. Don't go back to living disconnected from God. No, no, no. Live in close proximity in relationship to him. I love the way the apostle Paul says this in Galatians 5.1. He says, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. So stand firm. And don't let yourself be burdened again. Translation don't go back to a yoke of slavery. You are free. So live in it. Don't go back to who you used to be. You know, it's funny. uh, Every morning I wake up and I spend time with my girls before I start my work day. We usually sit in the living room together after breakfast. And um, we don't have like a baby gate that works for down there. And so I usually like jerry-rig some stuff, the Ottomans like in a corner, and then there's like a little table and I put pillows on all sides of it. So they're kind of like trapped in the living room, you know? And so I'm sitting on the couch and I'm watching them play. I'll get down on the floor, play with them for a minute. I'll usually do my quiet time in that time, which isn't really quiet, but it's time with God, you know? And so I'm hanging out with them in the living room, but after about 20 minutes, they get really tired of being in that space. And so I'll go to the stairs and I'll close the baby gate and I'll open up the living room so they can now go into the kitchen and into the other areas of our downstairs. And I've noticed as I've been doing that recently that when I let them out of the living room so that they can have access to the rest of the house, anytime that I'm still sitting on the couch and I go, hey, Wesley, come here, they just act like they don't hear me. I'm like, Zoe, come here. And they just like completely ignore me. It's not, they don't even acknowledge me. They just keep going and keep doing their thing. And so eventually I realize, and dad's in the room, you've done this. You're like, I don't want to get off the couch, but I have to, or my kid's going to die in the other room, and I'm not going to know. And I've been on the couch for 30 minutes while they're in the other room. So at this point, I should check in, right? And so eventually I will get up to try to go and get them and bring them back to the living room. And they do this thing. As soon as I get to them, they just flop down to the floor. Dead weight. Will not move. And I try to pick them up, and then they just like arch their back back, and they're a complete dead weight, and they do not want to come back to the living room. They get down on the ground, they hold their position, and they refuse to go back. Followers of Jesus in the room, don't go back. Paul says, stand firm in your freedom. Don't go back to a yoke of slavery. Don't go back to who you used to be. Don't go back to those sin patterns. Don't go back to striving. And don't go back to living disconnected. Choose freedom. If I could sum it all up, I'd say it like this. Since you've been set free, why don't we live like free people? Since we've been set free, why don't we decide to live as free people. People who have been set free, not just because of the country that we live in, but people who have been set free because our Savior went to the cross for you and for me and he freed us from sin, he freed us from striving, and he's given us an opportunity to be free in relationship with him. So Gwinnett Church, let's live like free people. Let's live in intimate relationship with God and let's enjoy the freedoms that Jesus offers. Amen? Amen. Father, we love you. And we thank you that you have set us free. We thank you that we no longer have to pay the penalty for our sin because you've done that for us. We thank you that we no longer have to earn right standing with you because you have done the work for us to have relationship. And we thank you that we're free to connect with you, that we can know you intimately and personally. And so I pray for the person in the room who's never chosen freedom, that they would choose freedom by choosing Jesus today. And for those of us who call ourselves your followers, I pray that we would stand firm in our freedom, that we would choose to not go back. We would live like the free people that you've called us to be. For freedom, you have set us free, so let us not go back to a yoke of slavery. We love you, and we thank you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.